What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Mike Milner, and you guys are about to be inspired. And this episode is just so moving, motivating, powerful, inspirational, just a story that you definitely want to hear. So I had Angela Nicole on, and she's just an incredible person who has been through so much, and it's going to give you perspective and appreciation and gratitude and just something that I hope you can all appreciate uh, how amazing her story is and take something away from it and uh, use it to improve your own life. So with that being said, before we get into the episode, please do me a favor and head over to iTunes. Give me a five-star rating and review if you wouldn't mind. And also take a screenshot of yourself listening to this episode. Post it up on Instagram Tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner and tag Angela at Angela Nicole Fitness. We would really appreciate it and we would love to see who is listening. And uh, send me a DM if you don't want to post it up on your stories. Just send me a, a DM. Let me know your thoughts and enjoy the episode. All right, guys, I am here with Angela Nicole and you are about to hear a super inspiring story. Uh, first of all, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we get into your story um, or like the moment that kind of changed your life, and I think that's really, um, you know, why I wanted to bring you on. Just, you know, we say that life can change in a moment's notice, and I think you are a perfect example of that. But before we get into that, um, can you just give us some like backstory about how you grew up, kind of like what you were like as, you know, just um, a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. So I am originally from New Orleans. Um, I moved around a lot when I was younger. Just my parents, I think, were a little bit of a gypsy. (laughs) Um, I had a normal, pretty normal upbringing. Um, Maybe a little bit of trauma, you know, through childhood. But, uh, you know, what what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, I don't know. Childhood. I guess just a normal kid, graduated high school, grew up in the South, um, did dancing, was into sports, um, worked regular jobs, just a normal, normal human, just trying to, just trying to survive. (laughs) So the reason I wanted to kind of set the stage is because I I guess I'm curious if you would have considered yourself as like a tough-minded individual at a younger age, um, or if you like considered yourself as... Um, you know, very independent or, you know, just, you know, strong mental fortitude, any of those characteristics? You know, at a young age, um, probably not. I don't think I was, I don't feel, my mother might say something different, but I don't feel that I had the mindset that I do today. Um, that was definitely, I think I was, that's, that definitely came with, with growth and, and change the, the mindset. Okay. So, Let's just get right into it. Um, so you had something happen in your life that kind of changed the direction of your life. So can you just walk us through and set the stage for us on what that event was? Yeah, sure. So um, I was 22 and um, I lived a very fast paced life. I was working in the entertainment industry, um, doing some modeling. I was starting a new job, heading home. Um, going to change early in the morning and was in a head-on collision. 
Um, I was on a five mile long bridge with no shoulder, just a highway, two cars coming at each other. And um, the driver was passing in a no passing zone and hit, we hit driver to driver. Um, he had a passenger in his vehicle with him and, and he was killed instantly. Um, I was pronounced dead at the scene. And so at, at the point in time when, you know, the police officers and everyone got there at EMT, he was the driver of the truck was the only survivor. So they were really just, just working on him. Um, a state trooper came to bring my body bag to the car that I was in and said, um, I was slumped over the steering wheel and was just shaking his head and said, man, so young to die. And he said, at that moment, um, I took a breath and came back on my own. Now my car was hanging off of a bridge. Um, so we had to have the, you know, fire firemen and EMT sit on the hood of my car to, to cut me out of the back seat. I was in a four door sedan. Um, and I was crushed pretty much into the back seat. The whole front of the car was just on top of me. And, um, they had, they had told my family and me later on that if I wasn't wearing a seatbelt and didn't have airbags, that the impact was so hard that I would have been severed in half. The top of me would have been in the lake. The bottom of me would have still been in the car. So it was a pretty hard impact. Um, I think the recreation of it was like I was doing about 10 miles an hour slamming on my brakes and the other, the truck was going about 70. So you can imagine it's just like hitting a brick wall. But um, everything, everything in my life changed at that moment in time from that accident. Wow, that is like I seriously have chills, and I'm sure that it's it's even hard to kind of talk about it. Um, but I, you know, I want to just kind of walk through what goes on from that point uh, because obviously you were pronounced dead. You you know were basically you know, inches away from losing your life, but you're here talking to me. So what happened after the, you know, the officer, um, you know, basically saw you take a breath and they're able to get you out of the car, which was about to fall off the bridge. Um, what happens after that? Oh, after that, um, I was rushed to, um, to a charity hospital because they have the best trauma center there. So I had about 17 doctors uh, working on me. I ended up having to go through an 18 hour surgery where I now still have six metal plates in my body. I have four in my left hip, one in my pelvis and then one in my left elbow. Um, but before I went into that surgery, uh, they you know, called my family in and basically told them to tell me goodbye because they were not sure that if that I was going to survive this 18 hour surgery. It was a super intense, as you can imagine, being crushed from the waist down. I mean, I think when I finally came to, I couldn't, before the 18 hour surgery, I couldn't move anything but my right arm. I couldn't sit up. I had, I was pretty much in a body cast. Um, everything just crushed. So, 18 hour surgery. I did uh, stop breathing during that surgery. So I guess you could say I, I died a second time and the doctors uh, uh, kept me alive. And, um, and from then on, it was just a huge struggle of, you know, going through depression and, and being faced with the doctors telling, you know, me that if I survive this, you're not going to walk again. And then even after the surgery, 
them saying that it's you're not going to walk again. This is you. This is your life. Like you're going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life and you're not going to be able to have children. Um, if you do get pregnant, you will be bedridden throughout the whole pregnancy. Um, I can tell you that I have two little girls and I was not bedridden throughout either pregnancy. Um, and I am walking and, and running a business and very athletic. So, yeah, we definitely want to unpack all of that to be able to go from that moment to where you are now. But tell me, how much of that do you do you remember? How much does it seem like just a blur or just something that like uh, kind of walk me through when you when you think about it, what that looks like? You know, I was it it, it is a little bit of a blur. It's it's been quite some time now. And I've gone through so much just dealing with this and, you know, um, being able to talk about it finally, just within the last few years. Um, so it is a little bit, it kind of almost feels like it, that wasn't me. That didn't happen to me. That was, you know, too long ago, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, I guess, you know, the part of the hospital of me being in the hospital, um, I was only there for 17 days. Um, because I was subjected to abuse in the hospital from the nurses. So my family ended up having to take me out of the hospital. I should have been in there for, you know, at least a month or two, at least. Um, but my family took me out, put a hospital bed in their living room. And that's where I had my recovery pretty much was in my parents' living room. Wow. So on top of basically dying twice and being told you're never going to walk again or be able to have kids, now you're being subjected to abuse in the hospital. And basically, um, you said that you were set up in your parents' house to recover? Yeah. Yeah, my parents, uh, they were amazing. I, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if they wouldn't have done that. I honestly don't know how I would have survived. Um, but yeah, it was an extremely humbling experience to, to you know, be a... At that point in my time before the accident, I was coming into my own and being very independent and pretty headstrong um, once I got into my 20s. Um, so, yeah, going from that into having to rely on people to do everything for you, to help you to the bathroom, to take a bath, to do anything, you know, it's it's a humbling experience. And so you mentioned some, like, depressive thoughts. Um, was that just from like you said, that lack of being able to do things for yourself, losing, you know, control of, you know, yourself and relying so much on other people. And, um, you know, that independence was just kind of taken from you. Uh, is that where that kind of stemmed from? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, being faced and being told that you're never going to walk again and, you know, going from a life of, like I said, I was modeling at that point and um, doing you know, I was very active in my lifestyle and having that pretty much just ripped away from you in a blink of an eye. Um, it was a huge, huge setback. And yeah, when I had some serious uh, depression to where I had, I was going to commit suicide. I had it all. I had a gun in my hand. I had it to my head and I was going to pull the trigger. And it was the moment of the steel, the cold steel touching my temple that I, it, it was just like a shock. Like it just woke me up and I was like, this is not me. This is not who I am. I cannot do this, at least not right now. Like I have to give it a 100% because 
that's how I've always been in my life. I'm always, I got to give it my all. I got to make sure I try my best and then whatever happens, happens. And so I was, I was at that stage with the gun in my hand and thinking, no, that like this, my story isn't over yet. Like I'm going to prove this thing wrong. I'm going to show those doctors. They cannot tell me what I can and can't do. So I think I just have to live with the fact that I'm going to have chills throughout this entire episode. But um, so I want to, you know, something that I talk about a lot is like self-limiting beliefs. And it's something that usually stems from an experience or something that somebody else told us that we then began to believe and it becomes our reality. And, you know, there's obviously less extreme examples of that. Like if you were younger and, you know, somebody tells you, well, you're just not that athletic and you may or may not be, but because you heard that from somebody, then it sticks with you. So I want to know the mindset of being told from a doctor who's supposed to be an authority figure, who's supposed to, you know, have your best interest in mind, telling you that you're never going to walk again, that you're never going to have be able to have kids. And going from that moment of, I'm not going to take my own life. In fact, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. Um, where does that come from? And, and what did you do? For, like, how did you overcome that? Um, not developing that self-limiting belief or was it something that was there that you just kind of had to deal with and, and face it and then overcome it? What was that process like? Yeah. So, um, it was soul crushing to hear that, to hear that you're never going to walk again and to look at this wheelchair and think that that's how I'm going to spend my life. Who's going to want me? I mean, these are kind of shallow thoughts that I'm about to tell you, but I had scars and I'm like, who's going to want to look at me naked, <laughs> you know, with these scars on my body. Now I, I rock them. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I've been through hell and back and I am still here. But to get to that point, um, it was, it, it took a lot. I was definitely in a depressive state for quite some time and it would go up and down. It wasn't like, you know, having the gun to my head was the end of my depression. Absolutely not. It was just the point that kind of like woke me up and got me to the place where it's like, no, I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't be that person that just gives up and without even trying. I hadn't even tried. I was only like maybe a month, probably two, maybe two months into this journey after my accident. And I hadn't even tried. And I'm like, this isn't, I'm not a quitter. Like this isn't who I am. So it really took a lot of alone time and um, just discussions with yourself. And I started this journey without even realizing that that's, that's what I was doing. And, you know, from, from that point on, like I said, it was an up and down process. Um, but from that point on, I really just focused on the physical side of it. And, um, I, I knew I needed to stand. If I could just stand, if I could hold my weight on these, with these plates in my body, I would be able to walk. I, that was just, I just had it. It was like mind over matter. I'm going to make this happen. And every night I would scoot myself to the edge of the hospital bed in my parents' living room and get myself into the wheelchair and just will myself to stand up. Obviously, like I still could only use my right arm because my left arm was in a cast and healing. Um, but I would push myself up to get to a standing point and just doing this over and over and over again and just saying, I can't give up. I cannot give up until finally I was able to stand on my own. Wow. Um, and how, so how long was that process? Well, my accident happened um, in no, early November, 
And by New Year's Eve, so I was doing this without anyone knowing, because if I tried to do anything, my family would freak out and think that I'm hurting myself and I'm going to make things worse. Um, so nobody knew what I was doing. Um, and New Year's Eve, every we had a huge New Year's Eve party. My family is really big and um, everyone was over. And I gathered everyone around right before midnight and I told them I had a surprise. And the stroke of midnight, I stood up for my family and we're Southern. We're really emotional. There was a lot of tears and clapping and screams. And um, so it was a, it was a big moment, but from the beginning of November to New Year's Eve, my mindset was, was I'm going to do this and no one's going to stop me. That's great. I have the biggest smile on my face right now, but that, that, um, that's basically two months. So you were told you're never going to walk again. And within two months you were able to stand on your own um, so that had to really give you the belief that you could overcome this and that, you know, what anybody told you was not going to be your reality. So was that like that big win that you needed to kind of get over the hump and realize like I can accomplish literally anything I put my mind to? Yeah, absolutely. And looking back on it now, it's, you know, it's and I tell my clients and people that I work with that it's the little goals that you set for yourself. You yes, have a big goal in mind, but absolutely set those little goals for me without even realizing it. I was just like, I got to stand up. I have to stand up. That is my goal. And you know, the things that we take for granted now, it's like, man, you're, (laughs) I would look at people and it's like, you're so lucky you can walk, (laughs) you know, or skip down the road. Um, but yeah, it's just those little goals that you got to keep in mind that that's what it is. The next goal for me was like, okay, I need a walker. And that's what I moved on to is I had my parents get me a walker and I basically learned how to walk again. And then from there it was crutches um, and then to one crutch and then to a cane. And then it was like, I don't need this. Like, And I had a, a limp for a very long time. And um, even now I can't be on my feet too too long, but hey, I'm happy to be here and be able to um, walk and run and snowboard and surf and do everything that I possibly can active. Yeah, that's so amazing. Uh, so you mentioned that the the process was never linear and that you definitely had some setbacks along the way. So I'm wondering, as you got over that you know initial hurdle and realized like I can do this, I'm going to write my own story um, and continue to progress through your rehab. What were some of the setbacks that you occurred, um, incurred along the way? Um, you know, a lot of them were just mental setbacks of um, getting in a bad relationship because I thought that that's what I deserved. Being held with the guilt of two men passed away, even though it wasn't my fault. Just the, the person that I am, it was just like, if I wouldn't have been on that road at that time, you know, this wouldn't have had, they, they would still be alive. So it was it was now an emotional thing for me. It was, you know, blaming myself. Um, like I said, getting in a bad relationship and, um, you know, things, things like that. And what did the emotional healing process look like for you? Uh, a lot of therapy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, um, just learning how to love myself again. It was, that's that in itself is huge that self-love and that goes right along with your self-worth um learning and going through that journey is was key 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's something that I talk about all the time. It has to start with loving yourself exactly as you are. Um, all your imperfections, all your flaws, you have to, you know, that doesn't mean that we don't want to improve, but it has to come from a place of loving ourselves exactly as we are and then wanting to be the best version of ourselves. And, um, you know, your situation was obviously something where you had kind of everything stacked against you to question, um, like you said, you know, is somebody going to, you know, is somebody going to want to look at me? Is somebody going to love me? And, you know, having those those mental challenges. But again, it was just that um, not believing that to be your real story. And I think sometimes we often get caught up in thinking that our thoughts are us, but it's not us. You know, we're not our thoughts and, you know, we have more control than we believe. Um, and that, like you said, mind over matter, you were able to just continue to persevere and set one small goal and her large goal and check that one off and then continue to set, you know, little check marks along the way. Um, even though the process was never linear, one of the things that, you know, is funny because I first heard your story, um, you're on my buddy Landon's podcast and I was listening to your, your story and I'm, I was literally in the gym and like bitching about having to do burpees <laughs> and, I hear, and I'm like, man, what a slap in the face that is. So I'm wondering, like, as you deal with clients, if you have to kind of control yourself from being like, are you freaking kidding me? You're going to complain about X, Y, Z and, and, you know, having your frame of reference and in, in dealing with, you know, what other people are going through. You know, I've been asked that a lot. You would think that, but honestly, for me, I know that everyone is going through their own issues. Everyone has their own threshold of what they can handle. So my approach to it is just compassion and just letting them know that I've been in a situation to where I questioned everything about myself and if I was worth it and if I could do this. Um, so my style is just, you know, trying to inspire and let them know that they're not alone. Um, there are people out there that are going through things worse or similar or, you know, there to support. Um, so it's really, I try to take a more inspirational route um, and not have those thoughts of like, come on, man, just do it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, so I want to get back to, you know, you progressed from your walker to crutches, and then you were finally able to walk again. Um, where did the passion for fitness and then wanting to like pay that gift forward, where did that come into play? Um, so I moved up to the Pacific Northwest um, in 2006. And that was kind of the turning point for me. So 2002 was my accident at the end of the year. Um, and then summer of 2006, Pacific Northwest, um, I got married, you know, had a, two girls. Um, we bought a gym and I was a member of the gym that we bought. Um, and I always just tried to be active. It wasn't even then when I bought the gym that I had realized the journey that I'm supposed to be on yet. Um, it just kind of fell into my lap, basically, which is I know it's kind of it's kind of weird to say, but it really just it found me. Um, and we ended up finding CrossFit in 2008, and that program is really what changed my life. I drug my feet about it. I was like, "Why do I have to do these stupid movements? Like, can I just go in the back and do my thing?" And you know, I don't want to have to do this. But um, once I really got to learn it and got into it, it is it was absolutely the best, um, almost like another rehabilitation for me. 
And then from there, it just grew. You know, I'm I'm a yoga instructor as well as a level two CrossFit coach. And um, I do personal training and retreats and all that good stuff. But like I said, it wasn't it wasn't until, gosh, um, probably about five or six years ago that I really started to realize this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be inspiring people and and doing this. I think I think what it really hit is um, I I was kind of sharing my story just slightly with a couple of the members and they started crying and came back to me and said, Oh my God, I can, I can't like, you have to tell, you have to share this. And it was, you know, I'm like, why? I don't want to tell anyone what I went through. Like, that's embarrassing. It's um, I'm ashamed, you know, there's people that died and, and I struggled and I thought about suicide and why I don't want to share it. Um, but it took a couple people like having that reaction to it for me to be like, you know what, this is bigger than me. And if I can inspire someone to not commit suicide or to better themselves in a way or to set a small goal that they can reach and keep pushing, like, hey, you know what? I'm going to put my ego aside and I will share it with whoever needs it. And I'm so glad you realized that because it really is about, you know, helping people understand that they can overcome anything they put their minds to and um, you are a perfect example of that. And I can just imagine being, I, I've never done like a formal CrossFit class before, but if I were taking one of your classes, I know just knowing your story, like I would have to give every single ounce that I had. Um, so I can imagine that, that your, your clients and your members kind of feel the same way that you kind of get the most out of them, which, which is amazing. Um, so tell me about like where the, uh, fitness retreats came from and, and why you wanted to go that route, did you notice that you could impact people um, in, with a more like in-depth kind of dive into their bodies and just, you know, going somewhere and kind of having that experience wherever, um, whatever location you choose and just be more hands-on? What, what was your um, kind of evolution to the retreats? Yeah, for that, um, you know, it started out with just wanting to travel and trying to figure out a way to just travel. Um, but when it really comes down to the core of it, I live in a, in the, in the San Juan Islands. So I live on a small Island. I can only reach a limited amount of people here. And, um, I had thought about bringing retreats to the Island and it's, it's pretty hard to do because we're limited with, um, locations for people to stay. So I wanted to reach a broader, um, a broader audience and really be able to take people outside of their comfort zone, you know, where they're comfortable outside of their own gym or their backyard or whatever it is and bring them to this beautiful location. Um, my next fitness retreat is in Fiji and I've been a couple times now and I'm telling you every time I leave there, I cry. I am not a crier. Like I am pretty headstrong now and I don't like I don't like doing that, but I cry every time I leave. They are the most genuine, sweetest people there. And I adore every single person that I have met there. Um, and it's such a healing, beautiful place. So I figured what better, what better place to hold a retreat, get people outside of their comfort zone in a place that they've probably never been, wanted to go, a bucket list um, style place. 
and then show them what their bodies can really do and teach them how to move correctly and inspire and you know, just really get them outside their comfort zone. Yeah, I absolutely love that. It's very powerful. And I'm wondering if you, you mentioned that you're a yoga instructor as well. I'm wondering if you kind of dove more into mindfulness practices and if that's kind of a big part of your daily routine now. It is actually. Um, A couple years ago, um, I don't, I don't like saying I do um, New Year's resolutions. I like saying I like making year-long goals. Um, And my goal was self-love and just to – I felt like something was missing. And so I started on this journey of trying to discover what else am I missing. I have, you know, this athletic side. I have kids. I'm married, a business. What else is missing? And then um, I ended up going to this – it was a mindful triathlon and they had – yoga and it was a 5k run and then a meditation and it changed my world I was like this this is exactly what I'm missing and it's it took that that you know mindful triathlon and I signed up for my yoga certification and um, did that and then I also am going through a Reiki um, course so I'm actually getting ready to take my exam for my level three for Reiki um, and then I'll start my master Reiki course here in a couple weeks. So yeah, it's, it's the mindfulness is a huge part of it. And I really wish I would have found this years ago. Um, but it's all a process. It's all a journey. I yes. found it now. And, and now it's just about sharing, Absolutely. sharing was, what I've, what I've learned. Yeah, for sure. I was late to the mindfulness game also, and it changed my life as well. I don't know if you saw the documentary on Netflix called heal. I haven't. Okay, you should definitely check it out. Um, I think I you will. Would, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I'm wondering about like what happened with the um, the doctors basically telling you that you could never have kids, and if it was just that you were doing a lot of healthy behaviors that you were able to heal and get to the point where there was no issues, um, or if there were some challenges there. Well, I, I. Yes. So the the reason why they told me I would never be be able to have kids is my pelvis was completely shattered. Um, So they were thinking that I would never be able to have any weight bearing on that pelvis. Um, My surgery for that was one that was used in a a nationwide conference um, with doctors. And so they used my accident as an example um, but it was a triple flip. So they flipped me three times in that surgery. So they were just like, there's no way that this girl is going to let alone walk, be able to hold the weight from a pregnancy. Um, and so they, they did tell me that if I did get pregnant, I would be bedridden. And, um, but that, that wasn't the case. I think I'm just, I don't know. My husband calls me the Wolverine, like I'll get injured or something. And then I heal super fast. Um, so I don't know if it's, I'm sure it has a lot to do with eating healthy um, and exercising, but I, I definitely think it has a lot to do with the mindset of just mind over matter and not letting anything, you know, um, get in the way of me healing and, and basically doing what I want. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't tell me no. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, so I feel like with any negative situation, there's always a gift. And obviously you experienced something to the utmost extreme on a number of different occasions, not just the accident itself, but then the aftermath, the depression, you know, suicidal thoughts and everything that you had to go through. 
Are you able to to look now and and see the gift and what happened? And then if so, what do you feel like that gift is and and how have you been able to kind of change your perspective on it? Yeah, so um, definitely the gift of gratitude. Um, Thankful for the littlest things. I mean, having a near-death experience or a death experience changes your view on everything. Um, So I am definitely more grateful for the things and then trying to live in the present moment. Um, that has definitely been another, another piece of my journey is, um, is that just, you know, the present moment is here and now and not to worry about things that are happening in the future. Um, and as far as like a gift that I want to give, it's like just giving back and just sharing and trying to inspire and letting people know that there are people out there that have this compassion and can help you. And, um, you know, just inspiring people that they can do it. You can do whatever you put your mind to. It may not be the exact way that you think it's going to be, but it'll work out and you will be able to do things that you probably never thought you could do. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Um, And so I am very grateful that you are able to tell your story now and impact people like myself and everybody who's listening. Um, So if you could just take a minute to tell everyone where they can connect with you and Um, find out about your retreats and everything else that you have going on. Yeah. So my website is AngelaNicole.com. And then you can find me on Instagram. I'm constantly posting, trying to do some inspirational stuff for everyone on there. And that is AngelaNicoleFitness is the handle. And then, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. You can, you can, email me through either one of those, I would be more than happy to, to talk and inspire anyone that needs it. Awesome. Hey, come, and, come join me in Fiji. <laughs> yes. I'm like strongly considering it. When, when's the Fiji retreat? It is July 29th through August 3rd. So the summer. Okay. Interesting. I have to, I have to think about that. Yeah. Um, so have you gotten to the point now where, where you're comfortable sharing your story and that you do share it more often? Yes, I I definitely have. It's been over the last few years that um that I'll do a little bit of speaking, um, you know, and try to inspire people. So, yeah. Well, I'm very glad to hear that, and I appreciate you coming on and inspiring all of us. And um, you know, I will definitely stay in touch. And I just appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. <laughs>